Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. Welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is brought to you every Monday and Thursday, free of charge at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something fun, you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Snapshots In and on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History. Want to thank everyone that tuned in for our part one of our interview with George The Rock. It was awesome. George is great. I think people will really enjoy part two. We talk about Kevin Lowe. We talk about his hat trick during the season. Some really fun stuff. I think everyone will enjoy it. This is going to be a really, really short intro. I've got to catch a plane to Vegas tomorrow, and then I've got to go to California. But I wanted to go ahead and release this episode before I got on the plane. So um, that's why it's going to be so short. Really wanted to do something on Ted Lindsay passing away, 93 years old. I mean, he was such an influential player in the NHL, not just on the ice, but off the ice. I believe he was involved in the first union. Also, was a pretty successful business guy as well. Uh, of course, played with Gordie Howe. So sorry to hear that about his passing. My condolences are with his family. He was 93 years old. But if you're going to live a life, I think he did it right. He lived a hell of a life. Um, anyways, let's go ahead and jump to our part two of our interview with George LaRock. We've talked about the team on the ice, but let's talk about the Oilers in the front office. On December 10th, an article appears in the Edmonton Journal that talks about the Oilers ownership group. At the time, there were 37 owners, and it sounds like things weren't running very smoothly. At the time, did any of that chaos make its way down to the locker room? Was there ever any concern as a member of the team that the organization was having financial issues? No, not at all. Uh, the only thing that we knew is that the Oilers wasn't going to spend money like New York and all the big market city would. So, but other than that, we never actually thought about it. And this actually never crossed our mind about that fact. It's just that we were just playing our game, doing everything that we can. And that's all we could do. At the end of December, you have a visitor join you for the holidays. And I imagine this was pretty special. Your brother, Jules Larocque, who was playing in the Quebec League, stopped by to see you and actually practice with the team. How awesome was it to have your little brother with you at NHL and NHL practice? It, it was awesome because, you know, like my brother was really supportive and he got to see me play lots and he got to support me and to cheer me on and stuff about everything that I did. So that's why, like to me, like you're my brother to come in and he was able even to practice with the others. It was it was awesome. It was a moment that that we were able to share brothers and brothers to come in. And I think he borrowed Todd Marchand equipment and <laughs> he did a, he did a optional practice with us and stuff. And it, it was great. Oh, it had to be special. And in early January, at the turn of the new year, it's reported that you and Kevin Lowe had a pretty serious heart-to-heart conversation. And I'm sure you had lots of conversations with coaches over the years, so I'm not going to ask specifically what this was. But how was your relationship with Kevin Lowe, and, and what was his coaching style? Kevin Lowe is the best coach that I've ever played for. Really? Ever. He's the best coach I've played for because the way that he was, the way he coached, he coached with intensity. He didn't care how much money you made and the name of a back of a sweater. He played guys that played the hardest. And I played so much under him because I would play so hard and then he would play me more. And he would he would play guys that were going. And uh, it was just awesome to be part of that because uh, I knew that he was always rewarding harder, hard workers because he was a hard worker. And uh, I had lots of ice time when I was playing for him. 
Well, I was reviewing and kind of getting ready for this interview. I, I noticed he would use the media a lot as a tool of motivation. He would talk about, he would actually call out players in the newspapers, and I'm sure reporters would write that down. As a guy in the NHL, everybody says they don't look at the papers, but how do you feel about coaches that maybe use the media to try to motivate their teams? To me, it didn't matter. It was part of the job. Mm -hmm. We knew that the media are there, the media are there, they give millions of coverage for the NHL and it's their job, it's no more. And again, all you have to do is do your job. If you do your job, the coach is not going to say anything to you publicly, right? Um, you know, it's a business where whether you like it, like it or not that a coach says something, you got 17, 20,000 fans in the stands that are looking at you play and that could say something if you don't play well. So what is the coach or the fan? It's the same thing, same result. People know that they know they're hockey enough to know if somebody is contributing or not. So that's why when I look at that and stuff, it, it was just normal that um, that it was this way. And uh, I've always uh, loved the pressure. That's the pressure of playing professional sport. That's what you have to cope with. And uh, and at the same time, that's what makes it so awesome when you're successful. In mid-January, the Oilers have their annual super skills competition. And I've always wondered if players enjoyed these or if this was kind of just another day at the office. But one thing I, I want to touch on is a lot of fans were upset that the Edmonton Oilers were not available for autographs, with the exception of one or two players. And you specifically are named as one of the guys that stays out afterwards and signed for as long as anybody wanted, for, for everybody. And you were there for a long time. George, you're a fan favorite. So many people have good things to say about you. Some guys would just turn their back and say, hey, I'm tired. I'm going home. You never did that. Where does that come from? Where You're so gracious. Where do you think that comes from? Where it comes from is it's actually pretty simple. Why does the NHL is a job today? Why? Why could many players could make a living playing in the NHL? Why is winning is so awesome? Why is winning the cup is so awesome? Why does having a parade with the wall city is so awesome is because of the fan. Everything that I owe to my life to this day is because of the fans. The fans made it so that the NHL became so popular that it became a job, a job, a dream job. So the least you could do to show appreciation for the fans that are giving you this chance is to be thankful. And I did that not just because I wanted to, I, I, I was thankful of it, but I think it's, it was a duty, it was part of the job to do so. They, some fans, they work nine to five, they have two, three jobs, mm -hmm. and they might save up for a month to be able to go to that one hockey games that they could go because they can't afford to go to all of them. But they still put money in a player's pocket by doing it so. So if players can do a little effort to recognize the contribution that they do because of the life that you have is because of them, it doesn't make any sense. So that's why to me, I was, I was so thankful, thankful for the life that I had because of all those fans that every time they did my time, whether I was tired or not, well, you know what? Yeah, sometimes I was tired. I was a fighter. My body was aching and, and, and you know, I wanted to go to bed. But you know what? I had a job because of them. And because of that, that's why, like, I was always thankful and always took the time that I could to show my appreciation. Did anybody ever say to you, George, you, you know, you don't have to be doing that? Or, or did guys ever, what did you think of guys that weren't doing that? 
I didn't think of anything of it because this is a personal decision mm-hmm. and I'm not going to insult guys if they don't do the same thing as me. We're all different in this world. We all think differently. All I care about is the guys, they do their job and that's it. Other than that, you know, I didn't look at other guys what they did. I just did what I had to do because I, you know, I felt special and I wanted to be thankful and you can never unpause to somebody same, give you the same character that you have. It's not because you do something that everybody should follow through and do the same thing, you know? And, and I remember the others themselves, the team themselves thought that I was doing too much, too much charity work, too much of that. It, it, it was funny. They, and I remember when playoff time came, they told me I had to stop because they said I should focus just on playoff and not do so much of it. I don't know how many times it happened where a team tells a guy to stop <laughs> doing charity work. I was gonna but say. in my case, in my case, it, 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 it was the case, which I understood because running around to do all those things could be tiring sometimes. And you surely need all your energy when playoff time comes. Oh, I bet. I bet. As you said, you're all about putting in the work. And as long as the team was putting in the work, you were happy. The work was being put in in Edmonton and things here have improved for the Oilers at this point. And leading the way is the Oilers first line, which consists of Doug Waite, Bill Guerin and Pat Falloon. You know, a lot of people might not know about much about Pat. He had an awesome junior career and was eventually taken second overall. But he never really adjusted well to the NHL level. Why do you think he had such a difficult time throughout his career? Well, it's tough to say, you know, like, uh, guys, the, the, there's always rough fashion that happens in their career. And then him and happen maybe that time, that year in Edmonton. But, but again, you know, you don't know. In San Jose, it was awesome. In Edmonton, it wasn't. It wasn't that much. Things change. It depends who you play with. It depends on the style. Depends on the coaching. It depends on so many things. That you know, it's all I knew is he was a great guy. I loved him as a teammate, and even though he, he wasn't as good as he was in San Jose, uh, it was it was awesome playing with him. At the end of January, the Oilers play their provincial rivals, the Calgary Flames, and smash the Flames seven nothing. Tommy Salo was able to record his 15th career shutout. What kind of goalie was Tommy? We uh, don't hear a lot about him nowadays. Oh, he was a great guy. He was uh, he was silent, like he wasn't saying much in the room, but he was all down to business. He, he was a hard worker and uh, and a silent guy, and he did his job well. And it was awesome to have him as a teammate. No interview is complete without talking about the Battle of Alberta. You participated in several of these games. Do you have any memories that stick out to your in your mind when you were playing with the Oilers against the Flames? Well, you know, it's the crowd. Because every time we played the Flame, I remember the crowd was there early. And there was that it was a lot of electricity in the building because there was a lot of physicality, there's fights. It, it, it was insane. The buildup of it, the Battle of Alberta, was like a war. And 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 it, and it was a crazy atmosphere. Obviously today it's changed, it's not the same anymore, but well, back in my time, you knew you could expect something crazy that was going to happen. You know, teams always dressed tough guys, and it was always really physical, and you never knew what was going to happen. It was gonna, always going to be a big battle, and fans were always really, always really into it. So, no, it was, it was a fun part uh, and fun battles to play against. Heading into February, your confidence has to be buzzing. You end up being put on a line with Doug Waite and Bill Guerin. What was it like playing with those two guys? They did that sometimes. When I was doing really good, Kevin Lowe actually did that sometimes to me. He would put me on, uh, on them to reward me for, for how I was playing and, and the result that I was getting and stuff. And, and, and it was awesome because they were showing how much confidence he had in me when he was doing that. During February, later on in that month, you end up playing with two other players, Jim Dowd and Boyd Devereaux. When on February 21st, 
you have what has to be one of the highlights of your career. The Oilers are at home at the Skyreach Center playing the Los Angeles Kings, and you post three goals for a hat trick and decide to end the night with a fight against Steve McKenna. What do you remember about this game? It had to be exciting. Well, first of all, that year, I was playing most of that year with Jim Dowd and Boy Devereaux. We were called the Kid Line. Okay. And we were re- we're doing really, really good. We we were playing lots. We were always playing in the other offensive, uh, offensive uh, zone. Um, it, it was unreal, the chemistry that we had. And I remember February 21st, um, women's Sky Reach uh, uh, at the rink, and uh, we're playing the Kings. And I I think it's after one goal that I had a fight, then I had a second goal. So I had two goals in a fight. And there was one minute left into the game, and then some of the fans started chanting my name to go out there to score an empty netter. And I was like, I, I was like, I knew that I wasn't, I was never in a defensive unit that would go on for the empty netter, but I was kind of wishing that the coach, uh, Kevin Lowe, was going to put me out there. And he just, he went up to me on the bench, like, sorry, George, can't do it. It was an important game, and he said, we have to win. So he put the defensive unit out there. So there's a minute left. He put the defensive unit out there, and Yanni Nineveh scored in an empty netter. When he did that, there was 25 seconds left in the game, and I was like, oh, man, it's over, and... It's not going to happen. And yeah, that was my chance. So I'm like sad and I go on the ice and I'm like, I could have had a hot chick and still to gold in a fight. It's pretty good. It's pretty cool. And I go on the ice and, and, you know, we kind of dumped the puck in our zone and Jim, Jim Bell gets the puck and he makes me a pass. I'm in a high slot in front of me. Aki Bird is there. And I don't know why to this day, why I did that, but I kind of did a Denny Savar spinorama on Aki Bird. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up being alone in front of the goalie, Stefan Fizet. And then I did a back end and I scored. When I saw that, the puck going in the net, I was like, I, it was so surreal. I couldn't believe it. I started skating like I won like the Stanley Cup. I think that if you would have, if you would have clocked me how fast I was skated from, from that goal, that, that goal that crease when I scored to our bench, I might have beaten Connor McDavid speed. <laughs> I was so excited. It was insane. And I was like, oh, my God. It, it was crazy. And I jumped and I jumped and I jumped. And the fans, they were so excited. They were screaming. And they threw hats on the ice. Some fans were crying. It was so emotional. It was unreal. I remember when I scored, which they did after every goal or every fight, they put the song, "This smell with the rock is cooking. After a while, WWE, they find out about it. They made us stop because we didn't have the rights to do so. But. They were always associating the rock to me, but it was crazy how unreal it was. I remember after the game, I still had my equipment two hours fully dressed after doing interviews and, and talking to people because it was such big news. And Wayne Gretzky even called and he said, Oh, wow. Yeah, George, you need 49 more to break my record. <laughs> so I laughed. It was kind of pretty funny. And I remember Power 92, which I did some uh, radio stuff with them. They went outside with a big, uh, with a big uh, poster. And they got fans that while they were going to their car to sign up the poster to say congratulations for your hat trick. And I still have that. Oh. Uh, well, people like that game that we're writing up on it, awesome three goals and all comments like that. So it's something that I will never forget that, I, that I've lived in this life. And when I played in the NHL, only in PlayStation, like I have a <laughs> dream of doing a hat trick, <laughs> not in real life. 
So it was awesome. Well, you, you mentioned PlayStation, and I know that's a big thing now. A lot of the guys are playing the video games. What were you guys doing at the time when you did have some downtime? I mean, and I'm not asking for, for anything terrible or stories of you guys going out, but was there anybody you hung out with off the ice that you guys would have a you were close with on the team? Our team, the Oilers team, what was so special about it is that we didn't have guys that would stay home and just play video games. We hung out together a lot. We went out together lots. We were always together, and that was awesome. A lot of team dinner and 10 team dinners, and it was just the way that it was. You know, I remember, like, I hang out lots with Mike Comrie when he was a rookie, and, and you know, like, and it's so tough to say because I would have to look at the list of the of each year to know exactly who was down that year. I'm not sure if Mike oh, sure. was down that sure, year. Sure, sure, sure. But, 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 but uh, you know, like, I was always, like, a guy that I liked to joke around and laugh around and, talk with everybody, hang out with everybody. So I didn't really have anybody. I, I couldn't say I have any favorite. I hung out with anybody and and we uh, had fun with everyone and we we're such a tight group. It was just awesome. Awesome. On March 1st, the Oilers are in first place and head south to play the Colorado Avalanche again. The Oilers at this time were number one with the Avs only trailing about four points behind. This game was all defense, though, as Tommy Salo led the way with a 3-0 win. We've talked about the goal scorers, you know, Dougie Waite, Bill Guerin. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. You know, at the time, you had Yanni Ninema, you had Roman Hamrelick, you had future Oilers captain Jason Smith, who we talked on a little bit early on. What was the defense like in this era for the Oilers? Was there a system that Kevin Lowe had in place? Well, yeah, there's always a system, and you know, whether it's support or defense, but no, our defense was good. It was pretty good. Uh, um, you know, I, and I love the fact that Jason became a captain after because he was such a warrior out there blocking shots. He was one of the best ones in the league for it. But uh, no, in terms of moving the puck, I remember Hammerleg, Lina, all those guys, they were awesome. They were unreal. And uh, we were blessed at that position. Speaking of future captains, you just said Jason Smith. Let's talk about another guy that would become captain, captain candidate himself, Ryan Smith. Could you tell early on that this guy was going to become the leader that he became? Well, it's it's so hard to say early on, right? Mm-hmm. You knew when you look at them the determination that he had, and and he was really a feisty grinder guy that that, that worked like that worked so hard to put uh, to to uh, to score and to contribute. It, it was awesome that the way that he was. Um, you know, he gave everything that he had every game, and nobody have anything to say about the effort that he put out out there and stuff. So. We kind of came in at the same time because we're the same age. And uh, no, I I didn't know that he was like, like you could never know that, that right. the guy was going to be that good. But but I knew that he was going to have like, he was going to have uh, somewhat a bit of success because of his work ethic and the talent that he had. Smith would come up big in mid-March when he scores a hat-trick as the Oilers shut out the Atlanta Thrashers. Just days later, the Oilers have to say goodbye to defenseman Joseph Baranek when he's traded to Pittsburgh for German Titoff. Why do you think GM Glenn Sather made this trade? Man, that, I have no idea. <laughs> Fair I answer. I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, I, we were all surprised by it, so um, I don't know. It's uh, it, it, it was uh, th- That's the reason, I guess, why we weren't the GM, because uh, there's something that we just would not do. No, hey, if you don't know, you don't know, and that's a fair answer. As yeah. we count down to the final games of the end of the regular season, the Oilers play the Colorado Avalanche again, and you end up squaring off with Chris Dingman for the second time during this season. seems like you and Chris were always getting tangled up. Um, what memories do you have of scrapping with Chris Dingman? That he was a big guy. He was a tall guy, and he was a big physical forward. And, uh, yeah, and because we played Colorado so much, 
I was playing all the time. So yeah, so it was a job. So we had to do it. And especially that his team was so damn good that I always had to go after him for momentum because we're always getting beat by the abs. So no, it was just that, you know, like it was our job and that's what we did. He was a big guy. So I always had to be cautious. The Oilers managed to finish first in their division, but draw the Dallas Stars in the first round. And things, unfortunately, are not meant to be as the Stars ended up eliminating the Oilers. And I know they went on to the Western Conference, and we could chat about this series all day. But but looking back, if what do you remember about the series? And, and maybe looking back, is there anything you would have done differently in the series? Well, the one thing for sure is that um, there's nothing that could have been done different that would have changed the series because the world that I have was not the world of putting pucks in the net. Mm. You know, the energy and what I was doing and the way that I was playing, it was, you know, I was always playing the same way and try to be a factor in the playoff and play as much physical as you can because when you do, you tired up the other team. But in terms of going back, you know, it's not constructive. Like, you don't think about it. You, If you didn't do it back then, you're not going to do it again, whatever what you say, and it's not going to change, so... It was just that a time where it was just awesome to be part of a, be, be, be part of, of a team that made the playoff, first of all, and then uh, after. But it was just sad that every time you lose in a playoff, it's sad because the ultimate, ultimate goal is to win the cup. But when something like that happens, you know, you just try to grow from it to come back stronger next year. Well, I'll tell you, we went ahead and we relived your 99-2000 season. I hope it brought back some good memories. I cannot thank you enough. But before I let you go, I got to ask – Please tell everybody. I know you're hosting a radio show now. I know you've got a couple of restaurants. Please tell everybody what you're up to. Right now, uh, I do so many things because I'm a public speaker because I wrote my own autobiography in French and English. So I go around and I speak about racism, about veganism because I became vegan since 2009. So I go all over the place and on my website, they still get questions about about that. Uh, this is my vegan restaurant in Montreal that I own. I own also rice kombucha. Uh, which is uh, it's distributed all over Canada. We're going to the States now. I own a memorabilia card store where we collect uh, like we collect and sell like sports cards from all major sports. Oh, wow. Uh, it's just, yeah, it, it's just awesome. I own Oraki, which is a, a company that makes uh, clothing with recycled bottles of plastic. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and I own an energy, energy drink company that's called BGL Energy. My own yoga tribe, which is a platform to get people to register to go and do yoga online. Um, I have my own radio show five days a week in Montreal from 10 to 12. I talk about sport, all sports around and stuff. And uh, I don't know if I forget other things, but uh, <laughs> I'm a pretty busy guy. I do lots of stuff and good things that have a lot of energy. If people want to find you on your website, what's your website address? georgerog.com is Zizis, that my name. And then you're also on Twitter as well, and your Twitter handle? Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all, all the social media. I'll make sure we put a link in there. I don't know why, but I still can't get over the fact that George LaRock is a vegan. I don't know, but he's a hell of a entrepreneur. I mean, God, he's involved in restaurants. He's got card stores, a radio show. I'm surprised this guy had time to do the interview, but I'm glad he did. I really enjoyed speaking with him. 
hell of a nice guy and really enjoyed reviewing the 2000 or the 1999-2000 Oilers season with him. Loved hearing about Kevin Lowe, uh, all that good stuff. So hope you enjoyed the interview. We'll be back on Monday with another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots In. We'll see you next week for another interview. Talk to you soon. Thank <sighs> you.